Hey, morning everyone. My name's Scott. I'm the lead pastor here at Bethany North. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we get ready to hear God's word? Jesus, thank you so much for allowing us to be a church that worships you, God, that opens your Bible every weekend and all week long, that worships in song and in giving and in volunteerism. And God, we just want to experience you today. What do you want to teach us, Spirit, about encountering more of you? about understanding the factions that have divided your people and how through your spirit, God, you're providing a way back. God, we would ask for encouragement and admonishment in equal parts today that we would learn more and more what it means to be people of reconciliation, of people of restoration by your good news. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Our scripture today comes from the book of Acts. We continue in our sermon series called Restoration, Life in the Spirit Amidst Racism. Today I'll be preaching through a huge chunk of Acts 10. And uh, I believe we have the slides here because I didn't, I forgot my Bible on stage, but that's okay. Acts 10. This is our scripture reading. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout. They were God-fearing, and they gave generously to those in need, and they prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! He stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier, who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. At about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry. He wanted something to eat. While the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice said, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And then the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. Immediately the sheet was taken back into heaven. The story continues. Picking up in verse 26. An angel of the Lord said to... F- ah, no, it doesn't continue. We're going to stop right there. <laughs> We're looking at a big chunk of Acts 10 today at this really surprising narrative where Peter, a devout Jew, after Pentecost, Acts 2, God has done this amazing thing. Everyone speaking, not just Aramaic, which the people of Jesus' early followers spoke, spoke every, every language from around the Mediterranean. God is blowing their minds in Acts 2. Thousands are coming. The church is exploding. And here in Acts 10, God continues to reveal a new thing. Peter gets this vision from God. Do not call anything unclean that I have made clean. And then he goes to the home of this man Cornelius, an Italian, a a Roman, a, a soldier who's devout. And then the spirit falls and all these people experience God together. The family is baptized And then at the end of the passage, what we'll look at at the beginning of chapter 11, conflict ensues. Now we're in this three-week sermon series called Restoration, Life in the Spirit Amidst Racism. And the title today of my message is called Made Clean, a case study in restoration. Made clean, a case study in restoration. The Holy Spirit 
in the scriptures confronts us in order to send us, to change us. And as we'll see modeled in the life of Peter today, there is new life in the spirit to tear down dividing walls in order for new life in Christ to fill in. This was the ministry of Jesus. Jesus came to make people clean. And for us as a church, 2,000 years later, we get to ask the question, are we joining the Spirit's work to restore the image of God in others? Are there preconceptions we're inadvertently perpetuating? Is there ways in which God wants us to evaluate our own life in order to see more of the gospel fill in through different kinds of relationships? See, when people make relationships cross-culturally, when people empowered by God's spirit have something to say about the injustice they experience in, in society by the power of God, the spirit does a new thing. The spirit gets to write a new story through personal relationships. I'll tell you a story from my own life where I learned something around what God wanted to do in my life to break down barriers that I had put up in the lives of others. I was a high school teacher once at at, uh, a high school in Glendale, California. I taught at two different high schools in California. And my first year of teaching at Glendale, I entered the school aware of the divisions. It would be impossible not to. Glendale High School was one of the most divided high schools in, in the valley. Because of this strong Armenian population of Glendale, California, over 75% of the town are Armenian from Armenia, like near modern-day Turkey. And Armenians had, had relocated after mass genocide, you know, decades before. Many of them had come to Glendale, California. I was teaching English in Glendale High School, to really divided kids that actually hated each other. The year that I was on campus, there was a stabbing not far from my classroom. The year before, there was a shooting. When, when police cars would run up and down Glendale Avenue, I would, I would be scared. I was literally aware of the distinctions in my classroom and the hatred within. Because the Armenians and the Latino boys, they didn't like each other. The school is like 80% Armenian, 10% Latino, Latinx, and then about 5 6% white, 2% black. It, it was a really divided place. Teaching English, we didn't even have enough money for the students all to take books home each day. We just had, I had 35 kids, I had 35 kids in five sections of junior English, and we had about 40 books for 150 kids. So we would read the text in class because, as was told to me by the other department chair, these kids aren't going to read at home anyway. Like, you could feel the tension, one day, as I'm like navigating this, and man, my Armenian kids, when I would make small groups, I couldn't put them with the, with the, you know, the Latinx kids, and then, you know, there's a few white kids, and it, it just like, oh, it was, it was awkward. And I was there about maybe eight weeks, and every day I would just feel this like tension in my gut. And one day this kid came up to me, and he's like, hey, I'm so glad he was white. He said to me, he's like, I'm so glad to have a white teacher. I was like, okay. And then he's like, and I'm so glad that you're a Mormon like me. 
Now, here I am trying to like be on mission in my classroom, and I'm like, something I'm doing is not going well. I'm not Mormon. I am a Christian. It's a different conversation, different day of how to talk to Mormons about faith, but I was immediately put off by this kid, and I'm like, whoa, 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 pump the brakes. What makes you think that I'm Mormon? He's like, obviously you're Mormon because of your undershirt. We wear undershirts, and because you wear an undershirt, you're like, you're like, every one of us have already talked. You're one of us because of your undershirt. And I was like, are you, are you kidding me? Like, no, don't judge me by my undershirt. I'm not Mormon. And like, I like you, but like, no, like, that's not what we're doing here. And then it hit me. Like, I was doing the same thing to the kids in my classroom. Like, you know, the kid, uh, Jacob and, and Jose, I'm like, Man, I, I know enough about the story that I can't even trust those kids to be in a small group together. I, I can't, I got to like constantly be navigating these issues. And I realize that yes, there was in incredibly inherent tensions in my classroom, but I was continuing them. I wasn't moving against them. I was uh, disempowered by them. I wasn't overcoming them by the power of the gospel. And something I was doing made me look like a Mormon, you know? So I was like... I got to change this. Something's got to change. Like if I was trying to teach the students English in such a way, but I wasn't overcoming the preconceptions and helping build relationships in my classroom, I was perpetuating the racism that already was all around. Now, you might be amazed to hear this. I've gotten just a little bit of pushback in this sermon series from people. Like, people don't like talking about race in church. Who knew? Like, who knew? And some of the pushback from really well-intentioned people has been, you know, really godly. I, I love pushback of the, in the sense of, hey, what are we doing here? How are we keeping Jesus the main thing? Is racism really a thing, or is it a thing, Scott, because we're reading about it, you know, on this news site or that? Help me understand again what we're doing here. So what we're doing here is we are doing a sermon series called Restoration, Life in the Spirit Amidst Racism. We are using as our primary text the, the, the book of Acts that continually disempowered racial distinctions for the sake of the gospel, And all of it is impossible without an empowerment from the Holy Spirit. It's really all about the Spirit's work. So if we go into any of these sermons, if we go into any work on anti-racism, just trying to use terms and terminology that we see in culture, if we're not doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're not going to have a very good power source. We're really going to be living within distinctions that culture has set up for us. We're not, we're not living into the power source that Christ has given us. And so as we see today in Acts 10, that Peter and Cornelius get to build this incredible countercultural relationship by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God does want us to evaluate. That's a key word today, evaluate our relationships our echo chambers, our, you know, how are we experiencing the Holy Spirit? What is the Spirit empowering us to do that just by our own flesh we would never be able to do? What does our church model to the power of the gospel that is counter-cultural? This helps move us as a church that we get to do new things for the sake of God, 
But again, without the spirit, we're sunk. But if we're not being moved as reconciliation agents and people of restoration trying to, you know, kind of step into and against the systems that we inherit, we're much like my high school example as a teacher that I was kind of captive to some of the divisions in my classroom. I didn't feel called and empowered to supersede them. I want to tell you, like, I get choked up a little bit because it really was a huge, I was at that high school just one year. And I'd say to any teachers here, I know there's some of you, you are missionaries. You know that. You are sent to tell kids they matter to God. And I recognize you're talking biology or English, whatever, and, and your language matters. You have to be wise. But teachers, you're called to be missionaries. And that year with those students, those Armenian students, those Latinx students, those white students, I was able to do some things in the classroom by the Spirit of God that was beautiful. And I learned new things. Like I was judging, particularly these Armenian students. I didn't get these boys. It was all about cars, cologne, you know, different like bands that I wasn't in. I didn't get them. But as I stayed present to, to my own prejudices and then worked by God's power to work through that and build new relationship, the Spirit enabled incredible discoveries. It was beautiful. I, I honestly think God used me to like be a gospel representative to these people. So what we're going to talk about today is a vision that comes from the Holy Spirit. What we're going to talk about is realization Um, through Acts 10 that hopefully is something for us to think about in the week ahead. And then we're going to also talk about just what happens in Acts 10. And I'm going to, well, next week you're going to hear from Pastor Lydia, Acts 15. You do see throughout Acts, conflict is inevitable. But I'm going to tell you, friends, that what the Spirit can do is more powerful than conflict. When we see God move in powerful ways, it's bigger than the conflict we face. But it must be powered by the Holy Spirit. So let's start here for the first point in your outline. We're 13 minutes and I'm starting point one. So those of you that brace for a 70-minute sermon, great news. I hope you packed a sandwich. You're like in for it. (sighs) A vision that comes from God. It must come from God. It must come from the Holy Spirit. The reason the Acts is such a helpful uh, text for us to look at reconciliation and prejudices in our society is we get to see the way in which the gospel was constantly blowing people's minds for inclusion's sake into the family of God, into the new work of God. And if you look there in your Bible of uh, Acts 10 chapter 1, I'm not going to read it all right now. I know we have the slide. Cornelius, he was, he was devout. He was Italian. He was God-fearing. That's a mystery. How did Cornelius come to worship God that he hadn't experienced the Holy Spirit yet? Who had preached the gospel? Peter hasn't shown up and preached the whole gospel story. And so God is working Cornelius' life in a really surprising way. And then the Spirit gives him a vision. And he's like, send for Peter. Peter's in Joppa. Peter also gets a vision. You hear it. You got to have a vision from God if you want to be part of tearing down racism in our country or anything that divides people, any ism. The vision has to come from God. A vision comes to Peter. Don't call anything unclean. I have made clean. And then, you know, Peter's going to be sent from Joppa to Cornelius. It's really amazing, this whole, like, don't call anything clean, I'm sorry, unclean, that God has made clean. 
we're Acts 10, and what this vision does is unwind thousands of years of sacred food code for the Jewish people. The Old Testament says there are unclean foods. And so God does this really amazing, surprising thing in Acts 10. And why that's significant is the gospel is constantly going to be asking us to tear down dividing walls and the sake of invitation and reconciliation and hope. But it's got to be a spirit that comes from God. It can't be informed by something that we read on the wall at the YMCA or my coffee cup at Starbucks. And those things are fine, like these messages of culture. But what is God calling us to? Where is the Holy Spirit moving us as his people to be agents of reconciliation? That, as Christians, is, is what matters. Peter's in Joppa, now called Hafa, on the Mediterranean coast, and he's moved. This story is about movement. The story in Acts 10 is about invitation. The story is about reconciliation. But it's a story, not to beat a dead horse or something, but it's a story of vision that comes from God. So the point there for us as God's people is we've got to get a fresh vision. We've got to get a new vision from what the Spirit is doing. You've got, you got to be in your scriptures. You've got to be praying. You've got to get on your knees. We've got to come to church. We, get, we need to have Holy Spirit moments for us to have any fuel to step into the world as people of reconciliation. If we go into the world to do the good things and join the march and be people, you know, that are saying, yeah, no racism, no judgment, no. Like, I love that. But all of that has to be birthed from an intimacy with the Spirit or we're moving in our own flesh. And I don't care how good your intentions are, when we move from our own flesh, we will be disempowered in time and we leave God behind. Like, that's the story of Ezekiel. The, the church had gone through the motions of worship so much that when the Spirit of God got up and departed from the tabernacle in, in ancient Israel, in Ezekiel, the Spirit departed and no one noticed. They were so busy doing something. So our vision needs to come from God. And we talked about this a little bit last week, Acts 2. We have an image here. It's just helpful for me to see what's happening here. In Pentecost at Acts 2, you see Jerusalem as the blue dot, which is when the Spirit comes, tongues, you know, people are speaking in tongues, fire. People are speaking in their native tongue. They're not speaking a monoculture language of Aramaic. They're speaking their own language, but they're able to understand one another. But when you look at all the, all the countries that are represented in, in Acts 2, it's super helpful that God is doing a new thing. And all these people in Acts 2, they're in the city for Passover, but like when the Spirit falls, it brings people together. It brings people that would have no reason being together around a center point. It brings people that have no reason to gather, but because of the spirit and a vision of what God's doing new things, now there's proximity. Now there's people that are shoulder to shoulder because when we worship God, we're coming together from disparate places in order to be closer to be able to worship God. And then we look on our left and our right and we're in a new relationship. There's relationships. The church should model relationships that we can never do by our own flesh, our own efforts. But people that come from such wildly different places through the power of God are, are amazed at the vision of reconciliation, the vision of 
the gospel-centered relationships that call us to have new kinds of friendships. We see this in Acts 8, which we've just skipped over, but I'll read you Acts 8, verse 26. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So Philip in Acts 8 started out, on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, a black man from Africa in the a eunuch is somebody made, Matthew talks about eunuchs, there are people that have been made eunuchs at the hands of others or have chosen the lifestyle eunuch. The eunuch was a practice, particularly in kings and courts, eunuchs were made because they were more trustworthy. And they were, you know, we have some younger people in the room, like, do a Google search, what a eunuch is. Eunuch is the sexual other in this culture. So this is a black person that doesn't look like Philip, but Philip is like, all right, God, you sent me. You want to do a new thing. What do you want me to do here? There's an Ethiopian. The man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Again, the vision must come from God. And on his way home, he was sitting, reading Isaiah. The spirit told Philip, the vision's got to come from God. Go to that chariot, stay near it. Remember, the spirit's calling us to move where we have new relationships. Philip ran up to the chariot. He heard the man reading Isaiah. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? How can I, said the man, this Ethiopian eunuch, unless someone explains it. And then he invites Philip to come up and sit with him. This man, this, this black eunuch, was a marginalized person, and God does this amazing, surprising work where this man is grafted into God's family. It's unbelievable. All through Acts, God does unbelievable stories of reconciliation. For what reason? For the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the vision that comes from God. And it's pretty amazing because that man is there in Jerusalem, the eunuch, to worship God, but he's reading Isaiah and he's like, I don't understand. Friends, there are people all around us that don't understand what God's up to. That's why we need the church. That's why we need a vision that comes from God's spirit so that we can be discerning together. God, what are you doing? How are you going to pour your spirit out? How can a new generation of young and old, male and female, worship you, God? How do you want us to be counteracting forces in our culture? God, give us a vision. Unless we have a vision, the people perish. People of color have been perishing in our nation for centuries. And I've had people say like, yeah, but Scott, I don't think that's a current problem. I'm going to tell you it is. And I'm going to tell you, meet 10 people of color and just ask them, do you think racism still exists in our country? If you're a person of color, like have those conversations with other people. And I think it's a helpful conversation for you to enter into. Because many, many people say there are still forces of racial discrimination happening all around us. So by the Spirit of God, we say, God, what are you doing in our culture right now that's new? Where by your Spirit coming out could a new generation of people worship you? And that's where God is going to call us out. This verse, this text, was super helpful for me in my ministry in these early years because we're building a church, we're doing big, exciting things. But one day, all the pastors from Bethany, we were on retreat over in Intiet, over in central Washington. And I went down, I opened the scripture, and I read this passage about Peter and Cornelius. Don't call anything unclean that God has made clean. And I felt like God wanted to extend the invitation. 
it was really helpful for me to just say, we have to keep inviting people. We have to keep kind of counteracting any forces where people feel like they're not good enough to come to church or church is too boring or church is for this group or that group. Like our church should look like from every way and walk of life in North King and South Snohomish County. This invitation has got to be working on us. God, what are you up to? The second thing I want to say is the process of evaluation enables Peter to have this real realization, a real realization of like, whoa, I knew God was doing something amazing if the case study is Peter in Acts 2, but he doesn't say, I now understand this until Acts 10. As he's in Cornelius' house, and Cornelius talks about the vision that came from God, and then Peter talked about his vision that came from God, and then Peter talked about the gospel because any real change has to come from a vision from God, not a vision from us. And then Peter says in in chapter 10, verse 34, he says, I now realize, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and the one who does what is right. He now realizes And that's really surprising for me. If Peter's a case study, the Spirit did something incredible for him months earlier in Acts 2, and now he's just now realizing. So why I think that's helpful is all of us should be on a process of discovering more of God's Spirit and more of where God's Spirit is sending us. And we can have grace for people that are in different places of their journey. If Peter here, eight chapters after the Pentecost, says, oh, I now realize what this is all about. Like how much more can we be people of grace and mercy that are giving people both an encouragement to continue to be change agents and restoring for the sake of kingdom, tearing down anything that divides people, but especially racism in our community, but also be graceful for people. Because any movement that's characterized more by hatred and condescending and and bigotry, like God's not in that. So we can get frustrated, but we need to be moved towards people of hope and mercy and inviting people like, oh, do you want to realize what God's doing? Like he's calling us to be agents of restoration. And when the church does that, 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 that justice and mercy piece together, God's spirit flourishes. One of the leading uh, pastors of color that's speaking a lot about this move of the spirit and being people of justice is a guy named Rich Villados. And he says this, he says, for far too many, justice is seen as an optional supplement to evangelism and mission. But we need to seriously consider justice as, as one of the means of evangelism. Many in this generation could care less about our good news if it's not good news leading to a more just world. So our justice is for the sake of people coming to saved relationship in Jesus Christ. That's, that's why we're called to, by the power of the Spirit, have new relationships. Why we're called to be people of justice so that the next generation says, the church cares about what's dividing people in our community. Now, I find this interesting. Peter was in Joppa, and the Spirit says, go north. Caesarea was 35 miles. Joppa, for Bible people, was the place where Jonah caught his boat west. Remember Jonah, one of the few missionaries in the Old Testament, a true missionary? God says, go to Nineveh, a place of racial other and the political, you know, conflict. And Jonah's like, no, 
So he goes to Joppa and he heads west. God intervenes. Eventually, Jonah does go east. Peter, go north to Caesarea, 35 miles. It's a pretty long walk. Like the gospel should be sending us into new places, into new relationships, into the Caesareas, into the Corneliuses, into the Ninevehs. Who are the people that you have written off that God wants to send you into relationship? Who's the Trump voter that you're like, they don't get it, and God's like, you need to love them? Who's the Biden voter like, yeah, they're a liberal, and God's like, nope, keep loving them? Who's the person that you're like, yeah, I just don't, they're like the Roman Cornelius to me, and God's like, I have something for you awaiting, I need you to go. Because when we step into relationships, especially ones that don't feel at, at, a, at a surface, like maybe they can, you know, experience God with us, God can do something with that. If we're vulnerable, Holy Spirit, give us a vision. Give me a realization. Who's somebody that maybe I've written off that you want to do a new thing? Because when we come back into relationship for the sake of the gospel, we get to be amazed that it's God's spirit that unites us. It's not our political ideologies. It's certainly not our skin colors or our undershirts. No, it's the spirit of God. And when really different people from really different backgrounds build relationship, the realization is the spirit flows, is the church grows. As people say, look at those Christians. They love each other wildly, even and especially the people that don't look like them. That was the message to Jonah. That was the message here to Peter. That's the realization that awaits. Wow, you're doing a new thing. This um, last week, I was with a bunch of reconciliation folks from really around the country here in Seattle. And it was a room, you know, it wasn't a huge room, maybe 35, 40 people. And the whole theme of the conference was restoration, which I thought was really cool because we're doing a sermon series called Restoration. But what it was was, okay, you're all these change agents. Many of these are leaders of color from, you know, Iowa and Chicago and from all over. And, 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 and what the conference was about is if you don't have a fresh infilling of the Spirit of God, if you don't have a fresh intimacy with where God is calling you, you're going to run out of your fleshly energy. It was all about being restored. And we sat in these little table cohorts, and, and, and they're like, well, okay, in that last prayer time, Scott, what did you experience? And I was like, oh, you know, and I kind of told this thing that happened when I was praying, and God gave me a really neat picture in, in prayer, but I was feeling really low. I was feeling really lonely. So I, like, started pouring my heart out to these people around the table, and then I got really self-conscious. I'm one of three white males in the room. Most of the people at my table are black and brown. And as I'm like lamenting my loneliness, I'm like all of a sudden like, oh, you should stop talking. You're being an idiot because it's way harder for them. And like all the like shame condemnation is like in my head now. And then this one woman who is black from Connecticut, she looked at me and she said, thank you for being real. And thank you for being here. See, when your church advocates for people that look like me, she said, it's so encouraging. And again, we talked about last week. Are we going to be a justice church? Are we going to be a praying church? And I hope the answer is yes. Let's do that. Let's be that. 
I've got to tell you, the people, yeah, has there been some pushback? There has. But has there been other people like, I'm so grateful that this church is saying, by the power of the Spirit, we're going to help tear down dividing walls of anything that divides. So, I need to wrap up. I've got about a 40-minute sermon left for you all. The good news is more is coming. There's always more coming. I'm going to point out next time we meet this incredible psalm, Psalm 87, for Bible readers. Read Psalm 87 this week. Read how God talks about Cush in Egypt, Cushites, and Philistines. God says, I'll call you my own people. It's amazing. Like when you start to read the Bible, friends, with this spirit-empowered lens for restoration, it's so encouraging, and it's super hopeful. The point is, Spirit, where are you filling us? Where are you impacting us? Where are you changing us? So that as we go out into the city, into our homes, into our schools, into Boeing, into Amazon, we have something to offer that's not based on our effort. It's based on a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to call the band up right now. We're going to move now as we will start to wrap up here in a minute. We're going to move into a time of prayer. I'm going to also invite our prayer ministers. Every week we invite people to, if you want to just pray, we have prayer ministers that will be standing on the left or the right. We're going to go into a couple of songs of worship. But we're going to move into a time of both worship and prayer. And the hope would be in this whole series that you would be listening Spirit, what are you saying to me that we would be hearing from God ourselves? And for some of you, like, Scott, I haven't heard from God in a long time. Friends, I got to tell you, we got to have new experiences with the Holy Spirit. We got to have new experiences with God so that the vision comes from God, that when conflict comes, these conversion experiences are more powerful than any conflict. What happens at the end of Acts 10, the Spirit falls A whole bunch of Italian people in Cornelius' home, they receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. People are baptized. Peter's like, this is such a big deal. I'm going to stay here. He stays in their home. They, they, They experience koinonia, fellowship, that would only come from the Spirit of God. This weird fishing preacher Jew in the home of a rich Italian military leader, God's doing a new thing. And at the end of Acts 10, the beginning of 11, conflict happens. We're in Jerusalem, like, wait, what? Who's invited? Peter, what did you do? We'll talk more about it next week. Conflict is going to be part of our experience. We have to stop demonizing conflict. I hate conflict. I hate it. But as my wife and others keep teaching me, conflict is how we grow. Because it says, two people or people that are different, we're going to work this out together. I'm not going to take off. I'm not going to deconstruct and leave the community. I'm not going to give up on people that don't look like me or vote like me. As the people of God have a fresh experience with God's spirit, oh my, now God can, can move people together. As we come and worship God, we find ourselves shoulder to shoulder with people that maybe we didn't grow up around, that don't, don't look like. We get to think more about our own divisions that we carry out. We get to be moved to be inspired, to be agents of reconciliation. So what we're going to do as we sing is, I want you to sing. I want you to pray. I want you to listen, Holy Spirit. 
what happened there in Acts 10 and Peter and Cornelius? What does it matter for my life now? We've got prayer team people that would love to pray for you. We also have this big open space that if you just want to pray for a fresh infilling of the Spirit, if you want to pray for somebody that you've written off and God's like, man, that's a Cornelius relationship. You've written it off, but if you stay present, God wants to do a new thing in there. There's somebody in your life that you want to see experience the Holy Spirit. Like, we're not prescriptive. We just want to be moving as experiencing the Holy Spirit together. So we'll sing, we'll pray, we'll listen. If you want to come forward and pray, come here and pray. If you want to stand on the side because your knees don't work so good, come and stand right here and pray by yourself. Step to a prayer minister you want that all of us would be encountering God's people together. We are restored by the Spirit to have something to say in a world that's experienced racism. We don't have to stay trapped there. We're people by the Spirit who get to experience new relationships, both with God and others. So towards that end, May we experience the Holy Spirit together this morning. Will you stand with us as we close and let me pray over us now. Jesus, thank you so much for some moments to open the Bible and open our lives. God, we're aware of division. We're aware of politicalization. We're aware of racism and all of it, God, can feel quite overwhelming. But God, today in this space, we want to be reminded by your Spirit of a new vision a new experience, God, of your great love for us. You spoke to Peter. You spoke to Cornelius. They got lucky, God. They got to just respond. So may we be lucky again. God, would you give us a touch, a nudge? And as we respond in listening, as we respond in coming forward in prayer, as we respond in praying with others, God, may we be people experiencing your Holy Spirit together. And all God's people said, amen. May you sing, may you pray, may you move in step with the Holy Spirit. Let's worship together.